For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Sometimes someone will come to faith in Christ to the amazement of everyone around them. Their lives were entrenched with sin and unbelief, and then suddenly they're singing God's praises. That's what Daniel chapter 4 is all about. So let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Brother Nebuchadnezzar's Testimony. There is nothing more powerful or more inspiring than our Christian testimony. And uh, even just talking about it gets um, people excited and inspired. Uh, Jesus told us in Acts chapter 1, he called us his witnesses and that we were to give testimony, uh, meaning that we were just simply to tell the world what our experience has been regarding him in the gospel you know, what we have seen and heard. That's what witnesses do. And so we call, if you're a newbie, uh, we call how we came to know Christ and that story our Christian testimony. Uh, Christianity today has a neat thing they do. They, they list uh, about a dozen or so testimonies and they feature them. And at the end of the year, I saw this article. I just downloaded the, their pictures. Let me just go through some of them. A devout atheist from Harvard tells how God won out in her life. A renowned French atheist uh, became a Christian theologian. And he tells the story how he went from being atheism to becoming a theologian. She, you, you probably recognize her from from Fox News, uh, she starts the article by saying she hated conservatives and she hated conservative Christians even more, and then she became one. <laughs> and then she works at Fox News. This guy was a, a Muslim and he had a vision of Jesus and, vi- and he came to know the Lord and he's being used a, among uh, Muslims in the Muslim Islamic world. This guy uh, started his testimony saying, after I surrendered to the FBI bec- for being a bank robber, then I ended up giving my life to Christ. <laughs> this guy, he said, uh, he's the first Christian, and he's the first non-Buddhist in his family for probably a thousand years. He says how he came to know Christ from devout Buddhism. And then we have this one. Oh, she starts her article by saying, um, as, a, as a leftist lesbian professor who hated God and Christians, somehow I became one. Now, that's amazing. She became a Christian. And she tells the story. She just says, hey, you know what? It's not how you were born the first time. It's how you're born the second time that matters. Uh, This one over here, uh, what's his name, Ronnie? Do you recognize him? Drew um, Gray, what's his name? Derwin Gray. He said uh, football was his God, and he gives, uh, somebody uh, brought the gospel to him in the locker room, and he just, bam, his eyes (laughs) opened up there. And uh, this gal was in the LDS church. She was a Mormon for 30 years at devout, and she started reading the New Testament, 
and she was shocked, and she became a born-again Christian. <laughs> just something about reading that Bible that really just affects you. You know what I like? Christianity Today began 2015 with their, with their next, thank you for those slides, with the, the, the first testimony of 2015 was called uh, My Boring Christian Testimony. And she talks about never knowing a time in her entire life where she did not love Jesus. Grew up in a Christian home. God saved her from all the teenage sins. Uh, She married a a born-again Christian. They're in ministry. She just doesn't have that kind of testimony, which is a miraculous testimony in itself. And so... uh, all, all of this, uh, you know, no matter how we came to know Jesus, no testimony is unremarkable, including tonight an arrogant, proud, pagan king who ruled the world 600 years uh, before Christ was born there in Bethlehem. So Daniel chapter 4, we're going to pick up. The Holy Spirit is going to assist King Nebuchadnezzar because he's going to give his testimony tonight. Let's read the first nine verses. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. This is a new one, not chapter two. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God. He's about to tell how his new God humbled that God. And the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, Daniel, chief of the magicians. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. Well, let's park there. I call this the attention getter. All right, the attention getter. And there seems like in every testimony, God has one. We always have something that just kind of grabs us upside the, you know, the, the scruff of our soul, as it were, and just say, hey, I want to get through to you. Are you listening to me? And this is going to be really the last straw that pushes this king over the line uh, that he's been resisting. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus tells us that when we believe in him, that we cross over a line from death into life. And so he'd been resisting crossing over. You know, that makes perfect sense. Why would you want life when you could be living in death, right? (laughs) Yeah, I've never quite understood why we resist our maker because it just doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when he loves us and wants uh, to bless us. And so uh, 
usually the attention getter is a dramatic, significant event that opens our eyes, motivates a sense of urgency, and causes us to yield our life uh, to Christ. And so the king is happy, gonna, he's going to tell the whole world about it. Let me show you a map where this letter is going out. He is the king of a lot, large portion of the world. And so that letter is going to go out to every little nook and cranny, and they're going to hear his testimony. I guess when you're king of the world, you get to do things like that. So you've got to take the opportunity to, to talk to peoples, nations, men of every na- language who live all in the world about how God changed my heart. And so we can go back to the text there. So Actually, what's happened here is this guy's become what we call an evangelical believer. Now, the word evangelical just means that we, are, we share our faith. Evangelical comes from a Greek word uh, that means good news as a noun, but when it's Greek and a verb, it means to share the good news. And so we're called evangelical Christians. I quite frankly don't understand how there could be a non-evangelical Christian because we're all called to share our faith. So uh, I don't get that, but that's what he's becoming and that's who we are. Uh, Here's what one writer said about his joy of uh, writing the whole world about his newfound faith in the Lord. The joy of passing from death to life is exceeded only by the joy of telling others and assisting them into the same eternal rescue. Now, you know, the Lord commands us, uh, you know, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go out into all the world and to evangelize. That's the word there. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like we should need a command. You know, what do you do? What's the first thing that you do when good news comes your way? Think of really, really good news, something that would be really, really good news. The first thing you want to do is to, to tell somebody Right? I, I mean, why keep it to yourself? I mean, that's the whole joy. And so this guy, he's got some good news. Uh, God has changed his heart, and uh, he wants the world to know. And, and, and so it begins here with a burst of praise, as you can see, and we get a sense of how the story's going to end. You know, he's going to be uh, submitted to the Lord, Yahweh. Three insights from verses two and three, I believe. You know, I like that he says, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I don't need a command. I don't need to be told, you know what? You need to go out and tell people now. You know, why wouldn't I want to go tell the whole world? There's a God that made heaven and earth. This God revealed himself to me, changed my life, the course of my my sinful soul. I got to tell somebody about this. And so I like that. It's not his duty. It's his pleasure. And the second thing I see, and he's calling the Lord in, in Aramaic, the, the high God, the boss, the top. Because they're, they're in a culture where there are lots and lots of gods. But he's saying, no, 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 no. None of those anymore. This is, this is the top. This is the, the only true God. And so what I like about it, he says, let me, it's my pleasure to tell you the miraculous power that God had worked for me. You see that in the verse? For me. That's the difference. That's where you get saved. For God so loved the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. That he gave his only son. That whosoever, 
believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When that becomes like it became for him, performed for me. See verse two? Performed for me. For God so loved the world. For God so loved me. Ross. Ross Ryman, this guy. Fill in the blank. That he gave his only son so that I, me, Ross, will not perish, whatever. When, when that happened, that's when I came to know the Lord. That's when you came to know the Lord, you know? He personalized it. Let me tell you about a God who, who, who did something for me. <laughs> and so he's going to tell everybody about that. So he exalts God's greatness. And, you know, verse 3 just says, hey, it's no longer about me being so great, no longer about Babylon the great. It's about this high God who is great. His power and his kingdom's eternal, uh, and our transient human uh, kingdoms are, are, are inferior to his. So in verse four, he says, okay, let me tell you how it all happened. So verse four and following is his testimony. Here's how it started. Now, Notice he starts with the most recent shove that pushed him over. He could have gone back three decades. Three decades, easy. Uh, because God has been working in his heart since chapter one and chapter two and chapter three and now in chapter four. I, I mean, he could have gone back to saying, you know, way back 30 years ago, and it was 30 years from this point, when Daniel and his three friends wowed him. What is it about those Hebrews? They're 10 times better than all the others. There was something about their countenance and their integrity and how they turned down the king's rations to keep their integrity intact before God. Oh, God was working in my heart then, he might say. He doesn't have time to tell all, all the story, but you know he might go into chapter two where he says, oh man, and then God was working on me in chapter two when I had this scary dream and, and none of the wise men could answer it except Daniel. Not only did Daniel tell me what it meant, but he told me before I told him what I had dreamed. And I, I came away so impressed and I gave praise to his God. See, there was a difference, right? And then chapter three, to say nothing about that, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, he could tell this. Now, this was about 20 years. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, 20 years has passed. And so he, he could say, you know, uh, I watched these guys defy me and put themselves in harm's way and get tossed into a fire, and I saw somebody like the Son of God standing with them. We pulled the guys out. They didn't even smell like smoke, you know? Uh, and, and after that, I was, I was moved again, but it was about their God. It wasn't for me, right? And so now I guess he, he, could, he might tell us, listen, I was impressed enough to issue a decree to protect their God from slander, yeah, so remember last time he said, wow, I pulled you guys out. I saw that angel in there, whoever it was. If anybody talks smack about your God, we'll cut him into pieces, right? But he didn't get saved. He just said, I'm very impressed by your God. I didn't even write some legislation on his behalf. <laughs> I'm sure God was like, oh, thanks. I really need that, you know? I can't defend myself. I need you, you know? So... Here it is. Here's what one writer put his, pre, his chapter one, two, and three drawings he, from the Holy Spirit. 
Bursts of emotion, the quick flurry of tears and promises and outward behavioral changes, which do not issue from a heart change, from an encounter with the most high God at the deepest level of one's soul, all of that is just a path, is as passing as a child's fever and as fleeting as a tropical rain shower. Jesus put it this way, he said there's all kinds of hearts and the gospel is like a seed and uh, I'm like the farmer who sows seed in the world and sometimes it falls on somebody's uh, shallow life. And right away you see tears and the plant springs up and there's the flower and wow, that was quick. But as soon as the sun comes up, it goes to 12 noon, it gets a little hot and the, and the plant goes, mm. you know, the plant's gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. You know, it just, uh, this is what was the case for chapter one, two, and three with this king. It, you know, there's a, it's not about the sizzle. It's not about the sizzle. It's about the long haul. It's not about the quick sizzle. Wow, look at that. Look who got saved. And woo. It's a, forget about it. The only thing we know truly, listen, I love when hands go up. I like seeing tears. I think tears are, are usually good thing. Uh, I like hearing all kinds of, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change this, and I love to see the water in the baptism tank splashing around, <laughs> right? But you do not know, you don't know without time and trouble and testing and temptation. Wow, four T's in a row. The four T's. You will never know. You need some time. Let some time, let some trouble come into their lives. Then we'll find out who's who. That's what has to happen. And so he, he tells the whole worldwide audience, this time I have got fertile ground in here. So he says, first of all, it was sudden and unexpected. He said, it was a season in my life. Everything's good, smooth sailing. He says, in verse four, he says, I'm just kicking back, enjoying the good life. No, no problems. I was a happy camper. And then it was fearful and, and, and sudden and reminiscent of a dream a couple chapters ago. It came out of nowhere, a nightmare again. And six and seven, it was the same usual pattern. Uh, I love this. He turns to the same bunch of losers. No offense if you're a magi out there, <laughs> a wise man. They're called magi, right? Uh, he turns to the same guys. Why? There's a reason. Why don't you go to Daniel? We've been through this before because I don't really want to know the answer. This dream is pretty laid out easy. I mean, when you read it and you know that... When you know some basic things about the dream, you just know what it's saying. He knows. He just said, the last thing he wants to hear right now is a sermon from Daniel. He doesn't want to see Daniel. Let me see if the pagans can tell me what I want, if they can relieve my fears and tell me what I want to hear first. And then at last resort, I'll go to the Christian guy and get the bad news. <laughs> All right, you guys are all nodding your heads like you've heard this story somewhere before. Stubborn unbelief always knows where it can find answers, but always reserves the God's truth as last resort. Now, 
I would like to point out to you that in the original language in Aramaic, uh, there's a stress and a nuance that says uh, that these guys know what the dream means, but they don't tell him. It's not that they can't. It's that they can't muster the courage to tell the guy, this is you in the dream, and you're going to get it. So, so that's what's going on here. And so uh, finally, the Christian guy's brought in because he has a backbone. And so they, ca- they call him in, and he's, he's going to be able to uh, tell him uh, the bad news. And uh, so, and, and notice verse 9. Notice that uh, Daniel is president over them all. So, so why would you call him in last? If he's the president and you're really upset, you want to know the truth, and now you're going to say, oh, I know nothing is too hard for you because the Spirit of God is in you. What? And that's why you call him in last? Oh, you're just kind of giving yourself away there, you know? You don't, just like in the last days, people accumulate to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So they're going to scratch where people want to hear what they want to hear. And so no, no difference here. Uh, and so he says, listen, hey, buddy, I know <laughs> your head over, all of them. I know nothing's going to trouble you. This dream's not going to be a problem. I want you to tell me what it means. I'm going to tell you the dream, and I want you to tell me Uh, what it means. Verses 10 through 18. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and it touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter And the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying on my bed, I looked. And there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him, oh, now we're talking about a him. Hmm. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him, now we know it's a man, let him be given the mind of an animal till seven years pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest, lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Daniel, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. That's the word, won't. It should be more of a won't. They can't find the courage, but you can because the spirit of the Holy 
God's is in you. All right, so secondly, now this dream is, is revealed. We, it's recited out. It's an easy one this time because in ancient literature, they consider that in their literature and in their parables, men could be seen as trees. It was often the case. In fact, even in the Bible, uh, it's like that, especially for kings. Ezekiel chapter 17, uh, Jeremiah 22, Psalm 1. He shall be a, like a tree firmly planted. So the ancient world in the Middle East knew exactly what a tree growing would stand for like this. And so, yeah, hmm, gee whiz. Now, here's a tree, O king, that's growing and, and ginormous. The branches are spreading out like a kingdom over people, dominating kind of vast regions of the earth. And then the personal pronoun of he, then. So uh, this structure provides kind of a, 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 um, a structure for this prospering society. Who could that be? He already knows. He's the, he's the king. Uh, the Lord called him the, the lowercase king of kings and God of kings. He was the ruler of the then known world. So he's having a dream about this tree he knows he has a sense of that dread. Who else could it be? Well, as the tree is growing and everything's happening, he's probably smiling. You know, you see people dreaming sometimes and there's a smile on their face, you know. You know, that's nice. But he probably has a, a smile on his face until about right about now when the music comes on and it's kind of ominous and you start knowing, uh-oh, what's happening in his dream, Right? Because a messenger, now the word there is watcher. Watcher, one who's watching. It's kind of an eerie kind of thought, but uh, the angels are watching. That the, the, that the Lord is called uh, El Roy. Hagar named the Lord El Roy, R-O-I. It means the God who sees me. See, heaven sees the angels are watching and the angels are ministering to those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And King Nebuchadnezzar's a brother. He doesn't know it yet. But the angel is ministering to him in, in quite a, a, a harsh way at this moment. So the bad news is needed to help prepare him and everyone for the good news. We always uh, need the bad news first, always, in the gospel. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not good news. To tell somebody, hey man, you're, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're falling short all the time, you're not good enough, you never will be, you just need to surrender the pathetic life. No, sorry. <laughs> You just need to surrender this useless, meaningless life that amounts to zero without God. That's bad news, right? And then if you don't, you're going straight to hell. I mean, that is, the, that is bad news. But you can't take away the bad news because then you don't have the good news. You've got to have the bad news first. So the, here comes the bad news. Cut that tree down. Chop off all the branches. Tell everybody, run for your lives. Get away from him. 
That's the bad news, and that's what's going to get his attention. And that's why he's saying, hey, somebody interpret the dream for me. I'm scared. You ought to be scared. That's the purpose. God has tried for decades with you to whisper blessings and kind, quiet gestures to pull you in. Oh, don't be resenting that he's so harsh with me now. He has to yell at me. (laughs) Of course he has to yell at you. His gentle whispers have failed for 40 years. So he has to take out the battering ram, you know? And so he does. He does. So every proud tree will need to fall if that tree expects to get into heaven. Every single one. You'll you'll either be... (laughs) Uh, you'll either sway and bend to the power of the Ruach in Hebrew, the Holy Spirit, Numa, wind. The Holy Spirit is called wind or breath. That tree is either going to bend to the wind or it's going to be snapped off. That's kind of a choice. <laughs> and we sort of make that choice our response. Now, there are a lot of axes. He says, get the axe. Cut this guy down. Uh, and it's in love because he's going to save him. Oh, it's a blessed axe, folks. Don't, I mean, it's sharp and it's going to hurt <laughs> for seven years. But I'd rather have the axe of God chop me down than, than to not have it and perish. Amen. Oh, blessed axe, chop away if that's what it takes, Right? I mean, how many of you kind of say you're more of an axe conversion? God had to use a, a sharp instrument, let's say. All right. How many of you? All right. Look around, everybody. I would say half to a little bit more than half. How many of you, the gentle whisper got you? How many of you were born into a Christian family and were raised in the church? Wow. We're kind of equally divided here tonight. And so God has an arsenal of axes, though, in case you need one. Uh, <laughs> and not just insanity. Impending death. Death is a big one. Wow. Disease. Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy uh, got my, caught my father for the Lord. Um, tragic accidents. Divorce. An arrest. Any kind of loss, a vision of hell, me, that's what got me. It's like nothing in this world is worth losing my soul over. That was my final declaration. I'm done. I'm not risking that. No way. And then people will say, you're only a Christian because you're afraid of going to hell. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) That way... (laughs) That was the initial, yeah, duh. And I say, I know you. You know, when you see a hissing snake, like one of those big fat rattlers in your driveway, you step back. I know you step back. And I'm not going to tell you, you know, you only step back because you're afraid. <laughs> We're supposed to step back when we hear eternal loss, condemnation, depart from me. I never knew you into a lake of fire. Somebody ought to go, whoa. Nothing is worth hearing that from the God of the universe. Amen? Amen. All right, but I digress. (laughs) So thank you, Lord, for resorting to the axe when after years of patient waiting and striving, 
your whispers of love uh, went ignored. Uh, so in Brother Nebuchadnezzar's life, uh, the axe is temporary insanity, and uh, that is what it takes to humble the sky. So it's kind of fitting poetic justice here. He's been acting like an animal. He really has. You know, when you remove God from a life, you can deteriorate in such a way to just behave like an animal. And so the Lord is like, hey, you want to kind of spiritually speaking, live like an animal? You know what? That gave me a good idea. I think maybe you should act like one for about seven years and maybe after seeing what life is like, like a true animal, then maybe you'll have the sense to come back. Now, now, seven years, he's going to live like an ox outdoors, eating grass, fenced in by an iron gate. That's interesting. I'll, I'll explain that. The root and the stump remain, indicating some survival, some restoration possibility. And, um, and there's hope. The duration of seven years, until he learns his lesson, it's about God. It's not about you. That's the lesson he has to learn. It's not about your throne, Get off your throne and, and serve the, the God of this universe and let him be on the throne. Um, it's just a fitting strategy. Um, God tells us, don't be like the animal. Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule uh, who won't come to you unless you, you're kind of using bit and bridle. Don't be like an animal, right? So, uh, he tells him, he tells Daniel, listen, tell me what I'm pretty sure I already know, but go ahead and tell me, Daniel. Okay, so uh, verses 19 through 27. Then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time. So he's like, hey, tell me. Those guys refuse to tell me. I want you to tell me. Here's my dream. So he, he lays it out, and then he says, come on, tell me. And Daniel's perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Daniel answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, and having, he's buying time there, I think. <laughs> he just doesn't want to come out with it. Nesting places and its branches with the birds of the air. You, oh king, are that tree. <sighs> you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Then your prosperity will come. Whoops. Something happened there. Uh, you, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree that the most high is issued against my lord, the king, you will be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You're going to eat grass like the cows and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven years, that word means years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge, until 
you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. That's one of my favorite sentences in the Bible. Therefore, O king, please be be pleased to accept my advice. (laughs) Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness uh, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity uh, will continue. All right, so the warning shot is fired. God always fires warning shots, just so you know. And uh, the dream turns out to be, you know, it is what it is. And it's pretty straightforward. Um, but that didn't make it any easier for uh, Daniel to ratify what everybody sort of uh, suspected, right, as true. So in verse 19, Daniel's perplexed. What a paradox. He just, the king just said about Daniel, oh, Daniel, I know no dream troubles you. And now Daniel's troubled by the dream, and the king is comforting Daniel. Oh, Daniel's okay. It, it's kind of like the, the king's like knows. He looks at his face and goes, okay, this is bad. And Daniel's my friend. He's been praying for me for 30 years. He's been witnessing to me for 30 years. He loves me. He does. And he doesn't want to tell me what I can figure out for myself if I have the courage. So he says, go ahead, man. I, I know. Go ahead and say it. Daniel's like, oh. wow. That, I mean, he's king of the world. And you're going to tell him, you're the tree. You know, get ready for the axe. Wow. So the hesitation is all about that. Now, uh, you know, Daniel finds a way to always deliver the truth with wisdom and tact. Now, how do you find wisdom and tact to tell the king of the world that you're about to get chopped down? You, you know, that, and he does. He finds three ways, and I think they're very important. And so, first of all, he expresses grief and sadness about it. It's not like, you know what? You remember my three friends that you tossed into the fire Okay, you were ready to kill my friends. And for what? Because they wouldn't bow down to you. Well, now you're getting what you have coming. No, no, he says, I I wish I could be talking about your enemies. I'm sad to tell you about the consequences of your resisting God and his truth. Listen, I'm sad about it. We, We should never talk about perishing in tones that don't convey some kind of grief or sadness or compassion or sorrow. We can't say, well, you're going to end up in hell and sound delighted about it. (laughs) This is bad. So Daniel's like, oh, king, oh, oh, man, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you. Listen, if you continue down this road, man, chop, chop, you're going to get chopped. It's going to hurt seven years and all of that. So, so number one, I just, I just like that he, he expresses some uh, sorrow. I wish it was somebody else. And number two, in verse 20 and following, he doesn't soften anything. He's going to go verse by verse, okay? None of this, you know, I love you so much, I'm not going to upset you by telling you, like, it could be you, 
maybe you're not quite the tree, maybe you're one of the branches, whatever, you're going to try to soften it. You know what? The guy needs to hear, you are the tree. He needs to hear that. And out of love, we need to tell them what it is. Jesus said, he used the word repent. Jesus talked about hell. We have to include the idea of what's in store for people who reject, but to do it with love and to do it without softening. We have to be able to look at somebody and say, dude, you're the tree. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but there are people who perish. He who has the son has life. John 3.36. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son shall not see life for the wrath of God remains upon them. You are the tree. Whoever it is you're talking to, you're that tree. God's wrath is hanging on you. But he he sent his wrath on his son in your place. All you have to do is look to the son and be saved and have all your sins washed away. But you are the tree. You are that tree. None of this getting out of this stuff, this new Christianity slop that's not going to save anybody. You take away hell and the gospel implodes. That's why he came to... If there was no hell, Jesus would not be the son of God letting people crucify him. Why would you be crucified if there's not a hell to be spared from? Amen? All right. I feel a little bit better now. Number three. Now, Daniel closes with an optional alternative at the end. And he says, hey, here's my heartfelt recommendation. Be pleased to accept my advice. Repent. Listen to what he says. Okay, I just told you the bad news. And it looks like it's going to happen. But guess what? If you repent and you stop being kind to the people you're oppressing and actually lift them up and help them and change your heart, perhaps your prosperity will stay in, in place. Perhaps this chapter will, would be written differently and it would be God tells Nineveh 40 days this place is going upside down and they repented down to the animals and God said I changed my mind they repented they listened I'm changing my mind he could have changed his mind and he tells them everything that we say to an unbelieving world has to end with hope. There's hope. Just to, and here's the word renounce means to repent. I, I, I know somebody just told me recently, I will never use the re- word repent to a Christian, to a non-Christian. Oh, come on. Jesus, his first sermons, Jesus, our Lord, who taught us to bring everything to, com- he commanded us to teach everything he taught, to obey everything you got to have the word repent in there. And he says, King, I love you, man. I've been praying for you 30 years. Dude, this looks bad, but repent. And perhaps, oh, I love that. And he says, there's a stump. He left a stump. This is good news for you, all right? And so, anyway, uh, this was not yet the final judgment. There was still time. 
an opportunity to repent. And the revelation of the divine, uh, divine decree was not given to promote a spirit of fatalism, one writer said, but, in, uh, but uh, not fatalism, but to encourage him to change. And so, moving on. 28 through 33. Almost done. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so 12 months later, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty as the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. Sound familiar? You will eat grass like cows. Seven times years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wants to. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Well, number four is the axe falls, okay? So perhaps echoing through the heavens, you could hear an angel shouting out what lumberjacks yell before the tree falls. Timber. Down comes the king. Sheesh, come on, 12 months? 12 months of thinking, oh man, that, I dodged that one. Oh, I forgot all about, I forgot all about the scary dream. Nothing bad's happened. Month one, month two, month three, month four, month five, month six, month seven. Oh, you know, we got a new bedroom set in the master suite there. So we rearranged things. I hired a new harpist. They play different music. I changed my bedtime routines on no dreams. I've avoided Daniel. I don't, I don't want to look at that face and be reminded that I'm not in compliance. Right, And surely that little shekel that I flipped to the poor guy holding the sign, oh, surely that was what the Lord meant by renouncing my sins. You know, I was so nice to that guy. You know, yeah, all of that happened. No, no, no. So the urgency of the moment has faded. And he's up on the rooftop. Let me give you a picture of artist rendering. You can go online. It was Babylon one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. One of the seven wonders. Let me tell you about it. First of all, it's in Babel, Iraq, where the Tower of of Babel was built, where in Genesis 10, Nimrod, the first Antichrist picture, and the tower is the, the birthplace of idolatry. And Babylon becomes really the essence of the world and uh, antichrist and evil. And so here you have uh, this beautiful monument to self. Actually, he built it for his wife. His wife is from Persia, and she missed the beautiful, lush um, landscapes of Persia's Iran. 
So she's from next door neighbor. They're in, in Iraq. This is 50 miles south of Baghdad. And there are remains of stuff like this. Of course, it's being confiscated and sold by ISIL right now to fund their movement. And they are taking artifacts from these kinds of places and selling them to raise their money. Uh, but I do digress there. So um, and this was a beautiful place, 150 pillars, 88 feet high. The outer walls were 56 miles in length, 80 feet thick, thick and 320 feet high. 320 feet high. And, and he was a genius because he had the water, and there's all kinds of theories how he, they did it, but it flowed up an incline from the Euphrates River. So they figured out how there was a screw thing involved and how it all worked. You know, it, they lost me because I'm not an engineer. I just produced one. <laughs> I raised one, <laughs> but I am not one. And, and, and so just a picture of just how beautiful it really was. So he's up there just enjoying the work of his hands. Oh, there was gold and silver and brass. Yeah, I mean, folks, really, he, he went to town. All right, and so he's up there, and he says, you know, he, lo- he takes it all in, and he says, you know what, <laughs> I am truly some kind of wonderful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and he says, listen, he says, I built this with no help from God. I built it all for my glory and my majesty, not God's, and God went, whoa, dude, <laughs> oh, you so crossed the line. <laughs> Oh, 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 uh, yeah, get the axe. So they got the axe. So I like this part while he's still speaking. He's thinking of another superlative, an adjective, an adjective to describe his little praise fest of himself, right? So he's trying to think of another beautiful word to describe himself. While, he's, while it's on his lips, it's a voice from heaven cuts through all the worship the self-worship, and says, remember me? Oh, chop, chop, bad, bad. <laughs> so so, so uh, the voice from heaven, and, and pretty much, you know, it's over. The voice says it's over. You're going to the barnyard. Uh, bring in the guys with the white jackets. So they bring in the guys with the white jackets. Listen, Proverbs 29 and verse 1 says, Whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. (coughs) Forty years. Not feeling sorry for him, you know? So he's driven from the populace. He's outside. He's in the sun and the rain. It gets 110 to 120 degrees in the summer in Iraq. His hair just grew into one big matted mess, right? And his fingernails and his toenails became like claws. And he was eating grass, whatever he could find. And he lived that way. And people just kind of like, okay, what do we do? Well, God put an iron gate around in the dream. It's amazing that nobody tried to kill him or take the throne in seven years. In that power-hungry culture, 
They used to assassinate each other, their, their brothers and their fathers. But God says, oh, no, 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 I'm teaching this dude a lesson because he's my, he's my boy. So there'll be a gate around him, and he'll have plenty of fresh grass to graze. <laughs> In seven years, he has to live like an animal. Why seven years? Because year one didn't work. Year two didn't work. Year three, there are stubborn people in this world. And he's, on, he's up there on the charts. You know what? Some people say stubbornness is a good thing. It can be. But you know what? Don't laugh about being stubborn. Do not laugh about, oh, yeah, I'm so stubborn. No, not good. Year one won't work for you. <laughs> year two, year three, you know. Use your stubbornness for God in a good way, Right? All right, let's finish up 34 to the end. At the end of that time, always back writing first person because he's back in his sane mind. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes up toward heaven and guess what? My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, what do you think you're doing? At, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Now look at this. I mean, you can prosper. You can have a, a kingdom lowercase. My advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. See, you can, you can be on a throne. You can have a position of prominence. You can even get rich. If you have your heart right and God's on the throne of your heart and, and, and you have it, it doesn't have you. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just. And P.S. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. I love him. I can't wait to meet him. And we are going to meet him. So lastly, we have a happy ending here. Sweet salvation. Always sanity is restored. Uh, but it was no oxidant. Hey. Don't bully me. Oh, ox. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so his, um, you know, his eyes as an animal are riveted below to the earth. But by God's grace, he's, he's looking up and he learns his lesson. And it's two words. Heaven rules. Uh, go ahead and say it. Come on. Heaven rules. Oh, that feels good. It takes the pressure off of us. I like it. Uh, let's check out his praise report now. So he's found the beginning of what Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is just that reverent awe do anybody who can speak and make a planet. All right? And so <laughs> an, am an amazing, uh, uh, he, I, I, I just really like how he says, let me tell you about this God. He says, this God rules the world. His kingdom's forever. There's no one even like him. 
Uh, he's in charge, and he's in charge of me, and I honor and I live for him. That's a paraphrase. And then he says, furthermore, who can oppose him? I like that. You know, he says, uh, who dare even question him? Hey, what do you think you're doing? Hey, why do you think, well, listen, I have this happen all the time when I deal with agnostics and atheists and unbelievers. All the time, they'll say something like this, you know, what about that flood? Oh, there were children in that flood. I said, listen, you have an appointment. You're going to meet him personally. And why don't you, here's what you can say to him. Hey, you, on the throne, would you get up? I'm going to take over. I'm going to sit down on that throne. I'm going to teach you a few things about how to be more compassionate. No, I don't think so. When you say that I have a problem with the Old Testament, you know what I always tell them, right? The Old Testament has a problem with you, right? You know, what is this? This is what this guy had to learn. He does whatever he wants. He allows whatever he wants. And he says, bottom line, everything he does is good and right. Oh, I may not understand how could he have allowed that or what, what's going on here. I don't get it, but I just know two things. He's good, he's right, and who is anybody to raise a finger, a human grasshopper sinful <laughs> finger to the God who created the universe and, and accuse him of anything? That's just not smart. <laughs> and he says, listen, P.S., if you need to be humbled, he's very willing and able. <laughs> he's willing and able. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our brother, Nebuchadnezzar, who I'm sure has a different and much easier name to pronounce in heaven now. We thank you, Father, that nobody is outside of your reach, not even a pagan, evil former murderer like Nebuchadnezzar. Lord, thank you that you didn't give up on him and you went after him just like many in this room tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your relentless love and your wonderful mercy. And Lord, we just agree everything you do is right and good. And we want to humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.